It's Luke chapter number two. If you do not bring a Bible this evening, you'll be able to follow along on the screen with us as we read the first 11 verses of Luke chapter number two. What a great group of people assembled tonight. We thank you for coming. This afternoon, I had the joy to go to our Spanish congregation that met right across the street here. Their 1.30 uh, presentation of the Christmas story, really fun to see that even the donkey showed up there and the sheep. It was unbelievable. I could tell because I could smell it. And, uh, but uh, we kept uh, Sarah's petting zoo very busy over these last several weeks, and we thank the Lord for all those who participated wonderful to see people come to know Christ throughout the day and even after the service this morning. Thank you very much, church family, for uh, your prayer and participation. Luke chapter 2, beginning verse number 1. I'll read the, ev- the odd number of verses. You read the even number of verses with me, if you would, please. We'll conclude on verse 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David. To be taxed with Mary as a spouse wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were with St. Chantry shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, For unto you, read it with me, verse 11, for unto you is born this day. Let's pray together, can we please? Dear Lord, thank you very much for the chance to be with our people once again, and then for those sweet friends who've chosen to join us. I pray that you would please speak to our heart. May this Christmas message be something that would be an encouragement to everyone, and may it be even a conviction to our own hearts, those of us who know you as Savior, and then maybe a few who've never really accepted the Christ of Christmas. Help us, I pray, to share the gospel very clearly. I pray that, God, you would do a work internally while we speak externally. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us as a church. Thank you for sending sweet friends to come to join us in this service tonight. Thank you for the work, the time, the effort, the energy, the expense invested so that we can enjoy a remembrance of the Christmas story in such a very Christ-honoring, excellent fashion. I pray you please bless those who participated and encourage them in their work in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we think about the Christmas story, I just want to take and not take for granted that everybody understands it. And if you'll allow me just for a few moments just to share a few thoughts about the Christmas story. There are two places in the Bible that register the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2. The story of the birth of Jesus begins about 15 months before he was born. It begins with a man named Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, who are senior citizens 
and were barren. They had no children. It was no doubt a heavy heartbreak on Elizabeth's life when she was young. But they prayed earnestly that God would give them children, and no children came. Now he is in his senior years of life. He is an, a priest, and he is doing his duty when the Lord comes to him and tells him his prayer has been heard. Well, it was a prayer he prayed many years ago, nothing recent. But God's going to give him a child. And he decided to give them a child. His name would be John. And we call him John the Baptist. He was a gift from God, and he was there to prepare people for the true Messiah. The Jewish people had been waiting for the real Messiah to come for many, many years, and some have not yet accepted Jesus as the Messiah. But they were waiting for him, and John was the one who was going to turn the hearts of people to believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, six months after that, uh, we find that a little girl named Mary, a young lady, she may have been in her teens whenever she was already espoused. And the Bible uses the word espoused. We would use the word engagement in our culture. But it was far more serious than engagement. You have known people who have been engaged and broke it off without any legal binding. In the culture that Mary and Joseph lived, they were espoused. That means they had already made their vows. They had said their vows. They had legally been married, but they had not consummated their relationship. They had not yet come together in union or physical union. But they were espoused. And as far as the court was concerned, they were married. But he was preparing for her to come and and uh, then an angel of the Lord comes to Mary and says, Mary, you are highly favored. You're going to carry the Christ child. Now, it was a wonderful thing, and no doubt she was greatly favored of God. But it didn't come with, um, with all praise. Matter of fact, there would be much reproach, difficulty, challenges. She asked the question, how can this be? I don't know a man. I'm a virgin. I cannot have a child. And the, he said the Holy Spirit of God is going to overshadow the in beautiful language, tells us that God had a plan. And it was very important that a virgin would conceive. It would be prophetic. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14, the Bible says, for the Lord himself will give you a sign that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son. You'll call his name Emmanuel. That's what the Bible tells us. And it's not just a young woman. I know some versions of our Bible nowadays say a young woman conceived. There's a lot of difference between a young woman and a virgin. Very important that we understand the Bible language there. And it's important because had Jesus had an earthly father, well, he would have been a sinner just like you and just like, just like I am, just like you are. He had not have, he could not have Adam's blood and sinful nature in him. So the virgin birth is very important. Well, she accepted it. She said to the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever you've decided for me, I'll accept it. She explained it to Joseph, and Joseph, no doubt, did not believe it initially. He had heard it from her, but he wasn't so sure. He was thinking there has to be another man involved, and if she's not pure and I can't marry her as, she, as, uh, as I had planned, then I'll put her away. I'll divorce her privately so as not to get any more reproach upon her. No doubt he loved her. He was a just man and wanted to treat her right. 
And uh, yet she, uh, she couldn't convince him until the Lord came to him. And the angel came to him and told him, Joseph, don't be afraid. Go ahead and marry her. And uh, she is with child. She's with child of the Holy Ghost. And she has got a baby coming, and his name will be called Jesus. And he will be Emmanuel, God with us. And he took God at his word and uh, took her in. Now, the Bible tells us that God caused a worldwide decree to be made by Caesar Augustus. At that time, the world was under a one-world rule. One of the most powerful men to ever live heretofore is Caesar Augustus. He was in charge of the world power, and Nebuchadnezzar probably would have been the most powerful man on the planet at one time until the Antichrist comes one day. But Caesar Augustus called everybody to go back to their hometown and register under the Roman Empire. And that would move that little couple, Joseph and Mary, from Nazareth, where he was from, on the other side of the tracks, if you will, to Bethlehem. Because that is where his lineage would fall, Bethlehem, the city of David. So he would come there, and the Bible doesn't say he came in one night with, that, with Mary and he couldn't find a place. It, it looks like they came there early enough, but the taxation and the registration had brought a crowded to that little, crowd to that little town. And they were, they were running out of options to stay someplace. There was no room in the rental homes or in the rooms to rent or the inn. And uh, the innkeeper, whoever that may have been, said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But they did find a place, and his first baby bed would not be a bed. It would be a manger, like we have depicted over here, a place where animals would eat out of. That was where he was laid in a manger. Of course, then the first people that were notified were the were the shepherds, common people, simple people that um, received the first announcement. And I love to listen to Brother Abdel's first message on this uh, message to the shepherds. It was a personal message. It was a life-changing message. Uh, lots of things about it that was a shared message with other people. But these were just common men who were very familiar. They had raised sheep for sacrifice. And God gave them the first news that the Christ child was alive. And he said, when you go find him, he'll be in Bethlehem. And it was a crowded place at the time, a lot bigger town than it normally was. He told them, don't go look in a house. And don't go look in a hospital. You want to find two things? Here's how you'll know to find them. Number one, you go look where they find a manger. Go find a place where they would feed animals. That didn't sound like a very wonderful place for a king to be born. Number two, he says, go find a baby, not in a, in a baby basket, not in a, in a blanket, but in swaddling clothes. Sometimes people would carry swaddling clothes in that day, and they would wrap the dead bodies in them. It was, it was, a, it was a wrap they would make it to take care of someone who passed away. Sometimes it would keep them with them on their journeys in case uh, Aunt, Aunt Ethel passed away. <laughs> Someone, someone passed away in the trip, they would keep that, it would, it would wrap that. And, of course, we think symbolically that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes because he was born to die. He was born to die. Of course, the, the angels notify the shepherds. The shepherds left their sheep and came down into the city streets. They saw exactly 
what uh, the Lord told him, a little, bo- a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. You would see him laying in a manger. And then they took their message and told everybody about what happened. Time goes by. It looks like now they're no longer in the barn or in a manger necessarily. They're in a house. And wise men from Babylon, who had been reading, no doubt, Daniel in the Bible, and studying astrology in the stars, make their way to Israel. It's a four or five hundred mile trip. It would take them at least a month probably to make the trip on foot, and if they were on animals or camels, and probably they were. There's not necessarily anything in the Bible that tells us that there were three wise men, but there were three main gifts. Gold for a king, uh, frankincense for a priest, and myrrh for a prophet, and for someone who was going to be, uh, was going to perish. So they made their, their trip there. It looks like this time Jesus is no longer an infant. He is a young child within the two-year frame, we believe. But when they come, they follow the star. And now they lost the star in the big city of Jerusalem. When they come to Jerusalem, they needed some help. And so they went to Herod the king. Now, Herod was insanely jealous. He had already killed his wife, thinking that she wanted to take his throne. He had killed some of his sons because he felt like they were premature in trying to take control over him. He was crazy. And he certainly wasn't excited about the news that these wise men came to him and said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And uh, he doesn't seem like he lives very long after this time. But nonetheless, history books tell us that he was very frustrated. He was bothered, and all of Jerusalem was bothered too. But the wise men came, and uh, they didn't have enough information. They had a star, but they needed more information. So Herod called the religious scribes, the Jewish people who knew the Bible, And they said, where is it that this king born of the Jews, who who is this, and where is he going to be born? They took him to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that was written 500 years prior to that time, and said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was five, six, seven miles south of Jerusalem, not very far away, which surprises me that Herod didn't follow them there. Maybe Herod was old or... Maybe he thought, uh, thought different, but he said, guys, go find him. If you find him, come back and tell him, because I want to worship him too. Aha. Uh-huh. They went, and they found the baby there. They found Mary. Joseph was probably working as a carpenter, maybe working about. They went to find him, and they found him in a house with his mom, and they instantly realized they had come to the right place. After they left Herod's place, they saw the star again. The star brought them to that home, and there they worshipped him. They gave him the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. And uh, then that night, after they made the visits, the wise men got a strict word from God that you're not to go back to Herod. Don't go back to him. Go back without telling him what happened. He was frustrated when he found out he was spurned by the the wise men. I think uh, Joseph got a dream as well, and it was to take the baby 
and take Mary and get her out of this country. And they would go into Egypt, and it would fulfill another prophecy where the Bible says he had called his son out of Egypt. He would send him to Egypt, and in Egypt uh, he would stay until the Lord gave permission for him to bring him back to Israel. And of course, Herod was going to kill, and he did. He killed every, he, when he realized that the wise men were not coming back to him, he made a decree to tell that uh, everyone in that little region of Bethlehem that had a two-year-old or younger boy would be killed. And he killed them. Herod is a type of Satan. Satan loves to kill. And he loves to kill babies. In a country, of course, abortion is rampant and challenge all the time. But I may I say also he loves to kill young men, just like Pharaoh did in the Old Testament, uh, to get rid of the young men. And I, and I think it's a, it's a challenge of the day. But the Bible tells us that later that uh, Jesus would come back and he would not settle back at Bethlehem, but would settle back in Nazareth, in a little town in the northern part of Galilee, and would stay there in obscurity. For 30 years. We know what happened when he was 12 years old. He went to the temple and spent some time with the leaders there. And for the next 18 years, we have this much information about Jesus. Nothing. Except that he was submitted to his mother and his father. But then at the age of 30, he would uh, get the nod from the Lord. And he would be baptized by John the Baptist, his older uh, his older predecessor, six months to he, older than him, he would be baptized, he would go and fast, and then he would pick 12 people that would follow him, the disciples, and spend the next three years uh, preparing for the cross so that he could die. Kind of tells a little bit about what Christmas is all about. Christmas, in my opinion, can be wrapped up in several words. And I'm sure you could think of other words than I can think of, but number one, I think it's about a birth. It's about a death, and it's about a decision. It's about a decision. What are we going to do with the Christmas story? When I think about Christmas, there are several things that make me uh, rejoice as I think about uh, this. I did not tell you about this, but 40 days after, eight days after Jesus was born, they named him Jesus, which was told them by the, they, they, they didn't pick his name. The Lord picked his name. And, and then 40 days after he was born, they went to the temple and dedicated him and dedicated Joseph and Mary. They dedicated themselves to raise that child uh, for God. And uh, how thankful I was for that story. And also thankful for two people who joined them at that dedication. One, his name was Simeon, who God had told him he will not die until he, his eyes had seen the salvation. And when he was looking for salvation, he wasn't looking at a baptistry. He wasn't looking at church membership. He wasn't looking at a denomination. He was looking at a person. Looking at, by the way, salvation doesn't come in your works or my works. It doesn't come in baptistry water. It doesn't come with your name on the church roll. It doesn't come because of being good and not doing bad. It comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And Simeon was looking at Jesus when he said, My eyes have seen thy salvation, except no counterfeit. If you're here tonight, you're not sure if you're to die, you'd go to heaven. You need Jesus. Only Jesus can give eternal life. Don't, don't trust an experience. Don't trust a baptism. Don't trust a church membership. Don't trust a pastor or a priest. Oh, no, only go to Jesus. But then an older lady named Anna, 
who had been married for seven years and then her husband died and she was a young widow and yet spent the next numerous decades of her life serving God faithfully as a single servant of the Lord. A beautiful testimony. She also praised the Lord at the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a little bit of the Christmas story, and forgive me if I bored you. I wanted you to kind of know a little bit about that. But I also wanted you to learn a couple things about Christmas I want to to give to you today. Number one, Christmas teaches us that we can believe God. We can believe his prophecies in the Old Testament. I'm glad God gave us the Bible. And God doesn't mind telling the future. He t- much of the Bible, as much as they say, as much as a, as a fourth of the Bible is prophetic in nature. God didn't mind saying that he was going to bring son, Jesus. He didn't mind saying where it would be in, in Bethlehem and, and even when it would be. In the book of Daniel, in chapter 9, he would speak about that. The word Messiah is only referenced two times in our Bible by name, but 38 times by identification. God is telling us that he's going to bring a son, and he would bring him to pay for our sin, to, to be born, to die, and to give us a decision what to make with him. But you know, I love about Christmas, it reminds me that I can believe God. I can believe his prophecies. Number one, I can believe his promises. I'm glad that eternal life is a promise. You say, Pastor, do you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? I do. Not because I deserve to go. I deserve to go to hell yesterday. But I'm going to go to heaven not because of what I deserve, but because of a promise. The Bible tells us in 1 John 2, verse 25, and this is the promise that God has promised us even eternal life. You know what eternal life is? It's a promise. It's not everybody's promise. You have to accept it. You have to believe it and accept it. And I hope if you're here today, you're not sure if you were to die, you go to heaven, you'll accept that promise. But Christmas reminds me, I can believe God's prophecies. I can believe God's promises. I can trust God's purposes. You know, I'm sure there was a lot of head-scratching going on with Mary and Joseph. I'm sure there were things that didn't make sense. And why do we have to go now to Bethlehem? And why is it so hard to find just a, a room to rent? Lots of things that probably really challenged him. But the truth of the matter is we can trust God's purposes. Nothing happens for a child of God on accident. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I'm glad, too, at Christmas time, I'm reminded I can trust God's provision. And Jesus is the provision for salvation, and he is my provision for everything after that. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Christmas teaches me that I can trust God. Number two, Christmas teaches me that Christ should be paramount, preeminent, most important. It's amazing that you can hardly find Christ in Christmas. Of all things that you can't put out at Christmas time, you're not supposed to put a nativity scene in a public forum. Crazy. Anyone ever seen X-Ween? X-Giving? X of July? But when it comes to Christmas, Xmas. Let's take Christ out of Christmas. Now, 
those of us who are Christians might be bothered by that, but sometimes we practice that. We wouldn't put Xmas, but our lives are oftentimes very little about Christ. When I think about Christmas, I think, first of all, that, that I can believe God, but also I should make much of Jesus. God made much of Jesus. You know, he started time all over again, divided the millenniums because Jesus came. Four millenniums before Jesus came and two since that time. And right in the middle, before Christ. And then, of course, in the year of our Lord, A.D. I think it's pretty neat that God, even someone can look in the calendar and believe there's a God. I believe God has demonstrated himself through numbers of ways, through creation. You look around, you can see that God made things. Through conscience, in your heart, and your mind, God, there's no born atheist. If you're an atheist, you have to become one. There's certainly, certainly nobody is born that way, and I'm not sure that God believes an atheist. <laughs> God has a purpose, and he gives us conscience. He gives us circumstances and consequences. He gave us the canon of Scripture to help us. He gave us Christ. He gave us a calendar to know that his son came. God made much of Jesus. The angels made much of Jesus. They announced it. The shepherds made much. They came and saw him, and they didn't shut up about it afterwards. They went and shared the announcement to everybody around them. I think the wise men, they traveled a long way and brought very valuable gifts and no doubt had to fight off bandits and scares and difficulties, but they made much of Jesus. Herod, he made much of Jesus in a wrong way, but he, uh, he made much. Boy, if, if Christmas teaches me that I can trust God and I ought to make much of Jesus. You know, we talk about things we love. When's the last time it came from your lips? Jesus. Christ. God. Oh, the world uses a cuss word. People get mad and cuss the name of Jesus. But for Christians, when's the last time you typed out J-E-S-U-S? C-H-R-I-S-T, on your text. If you could get your text over the last 40, 24 hours or 48 hours, how many times would you have texted out Jesus? Or said it, or thought it, or talked to him, or talked about him, or talked for him to somebody? Christmas teaches me that we ought to make much of Jesus. Christmas teaches me that we ought to ponder some things before we open our mouth. You know, that's one thing I see in the Christmas story. Both Joseph and Mary both were known to think. It's no wonder God chose them to carry the Christ child. Well, many of us, we've got a mouth that when we get upset, it goes into drive and our mind stays in neutral. We start saying things we shouldn't say. We voice our opinion quickly. We have, we have what we should happen and how it should happen and my opinion, the way I feel about that. But it's interesting that God specifically told us that Joseph thought on these things. And Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Christmas teaches me, I think, several things. Number one, I can trust God. Number two, I should make much of Jesus. Number three, I should ponder some things every now and then and Quit giving my opinion so quickly. I think I want to share with you the last thing that I think Christmas does, and it teaches us that decisions matter. Decisions determine destiny. Aren't you glad for this decision, that God so loved the world that he gave? It was a decision that he would love us. 
He doesn't love us because we're all that in a bag of chips. He doesn't love us because we're so lovely. He made a decision to love us. Every once in a while, I'll meet a couple and say, well, I just don't love them anymore. Or we've just fallen out of love. Love is not a fuzzy-wuzzy. Heard about the little boy that says, love is a feeling you feel when you're going to feel something you never felt before. (laughs) Well, it's just a feeling. It's not a feeling. Love is a decision. And God so loved the world that he loved you, loved me, that he gave his only begotten son. A decision that determined whether you and I could spend eternity with God forever. See, a hundred years from tonight, all that's going to matter is where you live. In heaven with God or in hell without him. You'll have eternal life or you'll have eternal damnation. One thing that's going to matter a hundred years from today is is, is where you live. If you're saved, or something else is going to matter, and that's how you lived. Did you live for the Lord? Did you live for yourself? But the number one reason for every one of us is where we live. And God loved us so much that he sent his son that if we would believe on Jesus, we could have everlasting life. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. I think about Joseph. He decided that he would adjust his whole life because of Jesus. I think I admire Joseph about as much as any Christmas uh, character. He really just, everything after, after his appointment with the angel of the Lord revolved around what was best for Jesus. He went to Egypt, not because he wanted to go to Egypt, but because that was best for Jesus. He did everything for what was best for Jesus. He made a decision. Mary decided to be pure. She decided to be yielded. Be unto me according to thy word. There was a decision made for there. Shepherds decided they would go and see. Wise men decided they would make the trek, the four or five hundred miles from Babylon and Persia over to Israel, looking for this king and following the star. The innkeeper made a decision. Can't stay here. We don't have much about the innkeeper, but he had to decide, you know what, I'm I'm full. Not, gonna, not welcoming you. And dear friend, I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk with the Lord, but I, I would know this, that Christmas is about a decision. It's about a decision to believe and receive the Christ of Christmas or to reject him. I shared already that 100 years from today, all that's going to matter is where you live. I'd like to tell you how you could live forever with God. I'd like to tell you how you could know for sure when life's over, you'd go to heaven. It was the best day in my life when someone explained it to me. I'll never forget. It was a Sunday night about this time that someone confronted me with the question, John, do you know for sure if you died today you'd go to heaven? I didn't know. But they began to share with me three things I needed to know and one thing I needed to do. And I had to make a decision. You know, this decision can't be made by your dad or mom. Your dad and mom might have baptized you into a church. They might have said, you're this, or you're this, or our family is this, but they can't give you eternal life. You cannot give it to yourself. A pastor, a priest, a communion, a sacrament, no, it can't give it to you. A saint or a, or a sacrifice that you make can't give you eternal life. No, there's three things we need to learn. Number one, we're sinners. On our best day, we still think things and say things and do things we shouldn't think, do, or say. We're sinners. And 
The Bible tells us all have sinned and all come short of the glory of God. Because we're sinners, we can't go to heaven on our own. No matter how good or how bad you are, you can't go to heaven in your own ability, your own righteousness. You don't have enough, and I certainly don't either. The second thing is not only are we sinners, but there's a penalty for sin. Jesus tells us through his word in the Old Testament, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. In the New Testament, he reminds us that the wages of sin is death. If I had to pay for my own sin and you had to pay for your own sin, you'd have to die. Well, some of you might say, well, pastor, everybody's going to die. And that's true. But there are two deaths in the Bible. The first is physical. Both are separation, but the first is physical. I uh, got a, off a phone call last night with Brother Tom Avery, and he told me, he said, Pastor, my mom just passed away. He said she went to the hospital, they treated her, went back home, and before they know it, she was gone. And uh, he told me, and what Brother Tom is dealing with today is the pain of separation. His mother's body is still in this world, but her spirit and soul is not. Last night, there was a separation. And he's going to be separated from her in this lifetime, and she'll be separated from him. But that's going to happen to everybody. The separation that you can avoid and that uh, you want to avoid is a separation from God in the lake of fire. In Revelation chapter 20, verse number 14, the Bible tells us this, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast or put into this lake of fire. Friend, anybody who goes to the lake of fire goes to the lake of fire unsaved. But no one goes there unloved. God doesn't want you to go there. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. What does perish mean? To die. He doesn't want you to die that second death. But to not die that second death, you'll need to have a second birth. You'll need to have your name in that book of life at the judgment to come. Say, Pastor, how do I do that? Number one, you realize you're a sinner. Number two, you realize that pr the price of sin is death. Now, you could choose what you wanted to. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 22, the Bible says, in Adam, all die. The only way you could not have to die for your sin is to be perfect. And to be perfect, you would have to have not have a human father. And everyone had that in common. We have that in common. We have to understand we're sinners. We can't save ourselves. The price of sin is to be separated from God in the lake of fire but that Jesus loves you. He loves me. And on the cross, he did all that was needed to be done. God so loved us, he sent Jesus. Jesus the innocent, dying for me, the guilty. Jesus, who didn't have any sin, dying for me, who have a lot of sin. Just like you. If you were, if I were to stand before God by myself, and let's just pretend this is me, and I have to stand before God in my own, in my own righteousness, I will, be, I will be damned. I will be condemned to eternity without God. But there was a time and a place when I understood I was a sinner. I deserve hell. Only Jesus could save me. 
And I asked God to forgive my sin and save me. I took his gift of eternal life. And when I did that, he covers me now. And now when God looks at John Wilkerson, he doesn't see my sin. He sees his son. I live just about a mile from here. But uh, if you came into my home and I didn't know you and you just walked in my door, walked across and sat across the living room from me, said, how you doing? I'd say, I'm doing fine, but we're not doing fine. I don't know you, and we need to have this conversation back on my driveway. <laughs> but if you would come into my home behind any of my seven sons, I would accept you. I would know less about you with them, but if you came in, if I, my son said, this is my friend, I would say, I'm so glad to see you. Have a seat. Let's get to know each other. I would accept you because you came in with my son. You know the only way God will accept you is if you'll come in behind his son. You'll have to have his righteousness applied to you. In the book of 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says this, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, he has an advocate, someone that can go between him and God with the Father, Jesus Christ, and he gives him a name, the righteous. Some of you may be today, you need the Christ of Christmas in 2021. You know and God knows that if you were to die today, you would not go to heaven. You're not, maybe you're not as bad as some people. That's not the issue. Is that you've never really by faith put your faith in Jesus Christ and accepted his gift. You know, the thing about eternal life that all of us need to learn is that it is not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. Eternal life is not a reward. Every once in a while, someone says, oh, he went on to his reward. Now, God does have rewards in eternity for those who are saved. But eternal life is not a reward. It's a gift. You check me out. Look in the Bible. When the Bible says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, he gives it to us. He says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And the gift has to be free, and it has to be accepted. Have you accepted God's gift of eternal life? I shared with you, I said in a service like this one, I was in this section of the auditorium, in a smaller church than this. When I realized I was a sinner, I deserved hell, only Jesus could save me. And that night, I believed in my heart, and I asked Christ to save me. And that was the best day of my life. Say, Pastor, why was it so great? That was the day I was saved. That was the day I was born into God's family. And remember, there are two deaths. There's also two births. If you're only born once, you're going to die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. And the question you have to answer for you and I have to answer to me is this. Do we have a second birthday? Let's don't talk about your baptism. Let's don't talk about your church membership. Let's don't talk about that you're better than somebody else. When were you born again? Because if you only have one birthday, you're going to die two times. Physically separate from your body and loved ones and eternally separate from a God who didn't want it that way. But if you're born twice, a physical birthday and a spiritual birthday, then you only die once. 
and you'll never see the lake of fire. You'll never spend eternity apart from God. The best news in anyone's life and the best Christmas you could ever have is the day that you put your faith in Christ.